This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Anishinaabeg and the Haudenosaunee people. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this territory, even virtually, and to be in this community. We commit ourselves to the work of reconciliation among settlers and Indigenous peoples, and we acknowledge that not all settlers were brought here by choice. Through this land acknowledgement, our intent is to honor and show gratitude to the original and ongoing stewards of the land as a sign of respect and willingness to learn and heal. We are mindful of broken covenants and the need to reconcile with all our relations. Together, may we care for this land and each other, drawing on the strength of our mutual history of nation building through peace and friendship, being mindful of the ancestors and generations to come. Welcome to The Intersection, where we are building community through candid conversations that lift, inspire, and advance social change. Today, one of the funniest, kindest, hardest working guys in the social goods sector joins us in conversation. Trailblazing entrepreneur, TED Talk speaker, and burnt out fundraiser, Simon Scriver joins us to chat about our love of conferences and how a virtual platform can level the playing field and make events more accessible, more equitable, and crush geographic boundaries. Time with Simon is always fun and thoughtful. We touch on the complexities of being human, what the future of fundraising conferences might look like, why paying speakers is so important, and how fundraising everywhere is modeling a new way for businesses to work. At the heart of all of this is the importance of curiosity, belonging, forgiveness, accessibility, and connection. Please join me in welcoming Simon Scriver to The Hub. Simon, we are so happy that you uh, made some time to be with us today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm more happy for being invited finally to talk to you too. So thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Why are you tired? What didn't didn't work? Uh, holidays just didn't holidays just happen? Not enough. Not enough. It's just so busy, and um, you know, it, it's not a bad complaint to complain that you're busy. But yeah, I just I I could do with a holiday. I could do with a a, a week of no email and a week mm-hmm. of no work. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. But I'm good. I'm good. Let me not complain. Let me not start by complaining. Let's complain about how successful your new enterprise is, shall we? Uh, well, yeah. I don't know. If complaints <laughs> right word. I don't know if successful is the right word. <laughs> So we're here to talk about conferences, and um, I we're maybe for the podcast listeners. Yeah. Kimberly has just lifted up a plethora, a bevy of of name tags. Yeah, all of my name tags. I that from years ago, and actually, I look at each one of these. You're supposed to return the lanyards, but I don't because each one of them, like there's little things still stuck in the back and business cards that will never be used. And those people aren't in those jobs anymore, but I still have the business cards. Um, the three of us have that in common. I think we love a good conference. And we love a good lanyard. We love like yes. actually collecting those, hanging them up, the color and the little memory of that. I know it sounds yeah. really sad, but I like you guys, I'm a big conference junkie, yeah. virtual and real life. And and the lanyards are a nice little token from it. And I love the ribbons. I love yeah, looking I at the American little... dictator. I want to be the prime minister of Guam when I show up. Just I now bring extra ribbons just to mess with people. Uh, and it's awesome. Look, I didn't realize this is my own business card on this one. Every gift and every will makes a difference, no matter how big or small. Paul, I put that on the back of yeah, my business like four jobs ago yeah so how how we measure time in fundraising <laughs> yeah. land yeah yeah these are actually heavy i'm taking them off yeah i'm surprised you can stand up i mean I that, that is a lot of lanyards so, but here we are post pandemic maybe uh and we're full of online experiences and simon you are really a pioneer in this space pre-COVID even, you launched Fundraising Everywhere. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that? Yeah, I'd love to. I love talking about it. So um, yeah, I mean, 
I had been doing um, a lot of virtual stuff over over the years, you know, testing live streams and YouTube channels for fundraisers and stuff like that. And then a few years ago, um, I had been doing a couple pieces of work with my my now business partner Nikki Bell. So Nikki Bell is a, an amazing in- English fundraiser, if you don't know her. Um, and we um, started doing some bits of work together. And we we were go we were speaking at conferences. We were speaking at real life conferences together. And there was one particular conference which, which I love, um, but I'm, I'm I won't name it because because there was almost like an, a, a sour taste in our mouth because we kind of looked around and all these fundraisers and nonprofit people had all flown from around the world to into this conference uh, to take part in it, and they had all spent at least you know two, three, four thousand dollars in terms of their ticket and in terms of travel and the competition, even more. Um, and, and we just kind of felt, you know, as much as we loved it and as much fun as we had, we just felt there was, you know, 99% of fundraisers were missing out, you know, 99% of fundraisers couldn't, uh, afford it themselves or couldn't get the, um, budget to do it. And we just thought, you know, as well, from an environmental point of view and from an accessibility point of view, a lot of this didn't really make sense. And we felt there should be, you know, there should be a, an option. There should be an alternative. And so we set out to make a virtual conference and we did our first virtual conference. It was a 12 hour live stream, which, you know, looking back, the thoughts of a 12 hour live stream, I don't know. I don't know if I want to host that again, Um, but we did a great conference with great speakers. And, you know, because it was virtual, we were able to get people from around the world and we were able to make it really affordable and we gave away some free tickets and, and things like this. And it was meant to be a one-off and it worked really, really well that we, um, that we kept doing it. And, and now, you know, it's gone on from there and we've built it. And now we're at the point where we do pretty much a conference every month. We do a webinar every month and then we run, you know, a bunch of other things in between. But a- along that journey, we accidentally set up a second company because we also, um, you know, when we were doing the live stream, we couldn't really find the technology that we wanted, you know, zoom wasn't really, it wasn't really pretty enough or it wasn't really, you know, it didn't really give the the fun feel that we wanted and there wasn't really an alternative that we could find. So we built our own and we built a platform called everywhere plus. Wow. Um, and that also started to get interest with people um, who wanted to put on a virtual event like ours or similar to ours who hired us then to, to take care of the tech for them. And so the, these two things were, were up and running and then COVID hit and it just completely changed our lives, you know, like it changed everyone's lives. Yeah. But so, so, you know, I know you guys from speaking at conferences in real life, the bottom completely fell out of that, you know, and I didn't get a speaking gig for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, the virtual event stuff went crazy. And so since then, um, you know, we're now up to about, I think it's seven employed staff and then a number of freelancers that we work with and a number of partners that we work with. We've got two new people starting next week and um, it's just crazy. It's just been wild, wild. And you've both spoken on at our events, which I'm really happy to say that you've both been, you've both had uh, uh, featured on our events. And when I, when I'm in there, I'm taking apart everything. I'm looking around (laughs) Because part of it is, and again, let me start the framing here because, of course, people know where I work and what I do, and I'm connected to a large national conference. But part of it is that it doesn't have to be an either or. There is space and a need for a lot of industry gatherings. But boy, oh boy, were we needing an alternative? Were we needing a, a, a new space to create that had built within it? all sorts of new ideas or things that people have been craving forever. You know, on the soft side, you know, equity, accessibility, a bit of social justice in the power structure of speakers and speaking. But on the other side, too, the aesthetic and the concept of belonging and God willing, having some fun, because that's, you know, always a challenge. You're supposed to wait till the receptions and a lot of the, the, you know, the conference spaces to do it. And now the, the the connectivity, the accessibility, even like, you know, meeting people who were in spaces where they couldn't get out or about, mm. even in life stages. You know, that's another thing, too. I've met a whole a lot more people who are at a life stage where they couldn't move around. So what are you so, saying? What are you saying? It's, a new, it's such a new space. So, you know, my first question to you, Simon, is what have you both learned in creating something very new? based on a very established structure what have people told you why is this interesting and refreshing to them 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are elements of it that we had taken from other places in our career that we brought into it. I mean, one of the things that brought myself and Nikki together and, you know, caused us to work on a lot of projects together is we had the same shared belief that, you know, even if you're a professional, you're a human. And so, you know, when we come to when we go to real life events or when we go to virtual events, we're still human beings. So we don't we don't just magically become totally serious and we don't magically you know not want to go for a drink and we don't magically you know that part of our brain doesn't switch off so it was kind of leaning into that a little bit and you know like like even just simple things like at our events we love it when someone's pet comes on screen you know whereas some people will kind of see that as unprofessional and they would they would hate it the idea of their cat coming on screen for us it was like that was the highlight of every event is everyone wants to see the cat and everyone wants to see the dog um, and so it was really just kind of bringing that fun in, not being afraid to make mistakes, not being afraid to learn from 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 uh, from every event and kind of improving that. But just, yeah, like you said, Paul, it's like having a bit of fun in it. You know, you can you can have that energy. And, and we did we saw that at our events is people were were kind of surprised because they logged on thinking, OK, this is going to be another flat Zoom webinar. And they came away from it having made new contacts you know like people we've had people who found mentors in the chat box and we've had you know we've had people who just can't get over the fact that at one of our events we have a virtual museum that you can walk around and people you know so all these kind of things it's like that's what we want we want a bit of quirkiness and we want a bit of fun and we want a bit of music and we want a bit of you know banter like that um but then you know in terms of you touching it there around the accessibility in people's life stages we also wanted to, to um, you know, react to the fact that our world is in Zoom webinars. You know, I run a virtual company, but I'd be the first to tell you to switch off your computer and go and do something better, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, especially for myself and Nikki, who we're both, um, we're bo- we both have kids or we're both kind of single parents. And so the idea of like getting to a number of these events and logging on to an 8 a.m. event, it's just impossible. It's just impossible for us. So we wanted to work around people and, and understand that people don't have money to spend on these things. And so they have to be cost effective. They don't have time. And so they have to be kind of, you know, um, they have to be all meat and no kind of filler. And so just just working with people and, and we've learned stuff. We had a lot of knowledge, you know, we had knowledge coming into it, but just doing it, we've learned from what people respond to. And we're always uh, well, we try to be always is, you know, and, and a lot of our program, a lot of our shape, it's dictated by our members and by people around us. Um, but we're, we're still learning, you know, it's still a big journey and, and the world changes every day around this stuff, you know? So speaking of that, the world changing every day, I want to, I can't think of any two better people to have this conversation with, but what is the future of the fundraising conference? What are we going to see? Because I like the idea that we're still going to have accessible online events that create connection and inspire collaboration. And I know that there are a lot of associations whose revenue model is tied up in their annual conference and and that sets them up for a year, a good conference. what are we going is there a hybrid version going forward or what do you think we're going to see i mean from from my point of view myself and nikki are very firm on this that we think every physical event should have a virtual element to it like like you should be able to access it even if you're at home caring for you know an elderly parent even if you have kids even if you can't afford to travel you shouldn't be excluded from the same education and opportunities that these events have. So we, so we have a very firm stance on that and, and a number of people disagree on that. But to go back to what you said, um, uh, Kimberly, about, you know, some people rely on this. And, and I, I mean, I find that really funny that people, people don't do a virtual element because they're afraid it will cannibalize the real life element. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if, if, if you're so afraid it's going to cannibalize it, that's your audience telling you they prefer to be virtual. Right. You know, if people aren't buying your tickets and buying an alternative, it's because that's what they want. So you're trying to make people do what you don't want them to do. But I would say, you know, it's, it has to be hybrid. I love real life conferences and, and your real life event can still make money and your virtual event can still make money. If you put on a virtual element, I'm still going to go to your real life conference if I want to go. 
but I just can't afford to go to every single real life conference. So there's, there's a balance to be had there. And just lastly, before, I mean, I'm, I do want to hear what Paul says about this, but it's like, if you're not making money on your virtual event, then you're probably doing something wrong, you know, because, because we've done it and we've done it with a number of partners and it's worked. And we, you know, some of these organizations, I'm not going to name them, but some of the ones that maybe you're inferring, Kimberly, we, when COVID first hit, we offered them the platform for free because we wanted to show them virtual work and we wanted to help them because we're, you know, we, we support these organizations. We're members of these organizations. We speak at these mm-hmm. and, and a number of them like turned us down because they just, turn, you know, they kind of turn their nose up at virtual and, and are just happy to feel like it doesn't work, but it does work, you know, in the same way, email for a fundraiser works alongside direct mail for a fundraiser. There's no reason that a physical event can't work alongside a virtual event. And so before COVID, I was on a, a, a journey that I was really enjoying, which was the alternative conference, which was, again, belonging is what we're searching for. Value is what people want. And so, again, industry or gatherings, association gatherings still need to happen. But I've, I've never seen a time when we got, you know, uh, David Kravinchuk with Western Canada Fundraising Conference, John Lepp with Happy New Year, mm. uh, Mike Dugatson with Build Good in Winnipeg, alternative gatherings. Remember, Simon, we were out in, uh, in Saskatoon mm. and Sheena Greer was using Lego to get people to play and rethink structures and all of it. I love these concepts and I love the concept to say there doesn't have to be an either or there's place and space for everyone in the third space being virtual. And that is something I really feel that that we need for the belonging to have the niche. You know, I just had a couple of colleagues in library fundraising get together. I think every subgroup of charity needs their own gatherings to talk about their unique challenges. Uh, now, what's really exciting about a lot of these new alternative spaces, and then you and Nikki really embraced, is this very new equity model, recreating the, the, the money ecosystem of a conference. Again, people struggle because this is a 50-year-old model. Even something like, how do we have a conference without a lanyard if there's nothing around <laughs> my neck? Am I really at a conference? I'm not going to a conference without a lanyard, Paul. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Paul, you might get some pushback on that because I think even a virtual hard. conference should have a good lanyard. I was thinking of temporary tattoos that we could put on our forehead <laughs> that, that are like the hello my name is. And then you'd write in, we send you a non-permanent Sharpie. But like, do, how do you recreate those things? Oh, oh, oh QR code buttons. Oh, the QR codes. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, again, this is what you and Nikki have been doing is reimagining it to say, how do we rebuild from the ground up? How do we, again, the aesthetic and the movement, but also the equity. Again, the, one of the revolutionary things you did even before the pandemic was talking about paying speakers, making things possible for them. That's revolution because the nonprofit model does not really allow itself to do that. So that is one of the things I've really been interested to see how you did it. Even things like creating a separate webinar to earn the revenue to pay that speaker. Like we need to rebuild it, all of us from the ground up. It'll be 10 times harder for the established players. But please, for the new players who are thinking of creating these alternative spaces, from day one, build in the equity. And that's what you and Nikki have really, I hope, given people the courage to say it can work. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think like people, you know, we we're all guilty of this. We kind of we kind of just assume that's the way it is. And, you know, for me, it's like as as a junior fundraiser going to, you know, maybe a bit more senior and then starting my speaking career, speaking at a lot of conferences, it was just the way it was that you don't get paid for speaking at these events. Mm-hmm. And then and then at the same time, we were having big arguments about why you have to pay fundraisers in your organization, you know, because we have we have to value their time because of equity, because of the opportunity to hear from other voices. And so it was really, that was really interesting that so many people, you know, even pushed back on us when we said we are always paying our speakers, people would call us out on it and saying, well, you shouldn't be paying speakers. And it's like, what? That makes no sense. So let me, I I want to um, just, just for listeners, uh, this is not paid content from fundraising everywhere. FYI. (laughs) That's okay. It's just, because you you really have revolutionized the space. So I want to talk about the paid speakers and I want to talk about this feeling of belonging. These are the notes as I'm listening to you. But 
let's dig into, and you had already started, um, why is it important to pay speakers? Let's make it really simple. Uh, why is that important? You start yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. So, so I mean, the, the biggest reason is just because it allows more voices to be heard. So, you know, if you don't pay speakers, then it becomes a privileged thing to be able to speak. You know, uh, you, you have to be, come from a place of privilege to have the time to put together these things, these presentations. You have the time to actually go and present them for free. And then, you know, we often see that it, it leans towards consultants because they maybe see it as a way to, to drive business. But even for consultants, you know, the, the people with the most knowledge are not necessarily the people who are applying to speak at these conferences. And then, you know, you add to that things like travel costs. And, the, you know, there's a number of conferences that don't even pay travel costs. Mm -hmm. So for me, it would cost me, you know, hundreds or thousands to speak at an event. And so when you look at like, what potentially some of the best fundraisers in the world can't afford to do that. You know, they're people who are in smaller organizations with no budget. They're people who come from an economic background that don't have the money to throw around on that. They don't want to spend their spare money, not on a holiday, but actually going to a work event. Yeah. And yeah. so, so that was the simplest thing for us is, is by paying our speakers, we're going to allow ourselves to get a whole bunch of new speakers. And if you look at our events, we do get a whole lot of speakers speaking for the first time or speakers who who you know who would never be able to speak in a different country and so by actually paying them and giving them the time and giving them the support to be a speaker um it doesn't and i you know that that was a thing that came from way before fundraising everywhere i'm a big believer in in you know i got a lot of support when i started speaking and i got a lot of support as my career progressed even for, like from you two and i always cite paul especially as as a person in my life in my career who really helped me along my way just in terms of his thinking his 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 idea of connecting people and supporting people without motive mm -hmm. and i think that was a big part of of what we were trying to do and so i've helped a lot of people speak for the first time which i love but then in in fundraising everywhere we've allowed to we've we've been able to do that even more and it's really exciting to reach out to someone who's never spoken but you know is a great fundraiser you know has done something amazing and you say Hey, I'd love to give you $300 to tell us what you've done. And, and, you know, sometimes they almost can't believe it because they've never, they they've never been offered to them. I wanted to know, they must argue with you, right? Well, not me. And yeah. <laughs> I love watching some of the people you put on the stage. Sometimes they're, 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 they do this thing with their eyes. Like, am I really here? I just came out of the basement. Am I allowed to be here? And all of us in there in the chat are like, do you not get it? You're the practitioner. You've done something a hundred thousand times and now you do it better than anybody. And we just want to know how. Stop with the thought leadership. Just tell us how you've done that a hundred thousand times well. And they're like, oh, is that valuable? And you're kind of like, that's the basis of all of this. Yeah, it's amazing. Even, even if you're the worst fundraiser in the world, you'd make a great speaker because you could tell us what not to do, you know, share all the mistakes you've made and then we won't make the same mistakes. But I mean, you guys know it, like you guys are both great speakers and I've seen you speak. And that there's a feeling sometimes when you see a speaker on stage that they are almost above you, you know, they know more, they're way more qualified, they're in a position of power there. But the truth is we're all, all speakers are just deeply flawed. You know, we all make lots of mistakes. We all have lots of emotional baggage and problems and stuff like that. No one, no one's any better than anyone else, but we just have different experiences and maybe the confidence to present that experience. But I think like everyone has that voice and everyone has a right to a microphone because we all learn from each other. I love that. Everyone has a right to a microphone and Simon, I have been thinking about podcasting for a long time. Paul can attest to this because we started this conversation years and years ago. And it was your session in Toronto where <laughs> you inspired me to just start creating content. Just, just make stuff. <laughs> and, and then you said, who wants to be on a podcast? And I went, I, I, I kind of do. And then you created the space for that. And so that was my first time ever on a podcast and the beginning of becoming a creator. So I, I, I'm grateful to you for doing that for me. Thanks. I love it. I love that. I mean, that's so lovely to hear and so warming to hear, but it, it's so like, I just love this idea that now 
we're in an age and you know we're talking kind of the future of conferences mm-hmm. but anyone can do these things you know anyone can put out a podcast now anyone can start a blog anyone can publish a book my 10 year old son has a published book under his belt because we just you know he wrote it we got it designed we got it for sale on amazon and now you can buy it on amazon like it's so easy to create stuff i mean it doesn't mean anyone's going to read it but what's but the name least- of the book i mean let's at least plug his book it's it's called the um uh, the age of aquarius adventures and so it's about an, it's about a cuddly toy owl well it's about his owl uh, who has to save other owls it's a it's a complicated story he wrote it when he was much younger lemonade but, it, but we, we tell kids to start the business and make the lemonade stand and learn about the the business yeah. ecosystem yeah. and that's a 100 year old out of date model yeah. whereas mm-hmm. this and the book and the amazon and the getting it to there again on the conference side too this is what more people this is the on-ramp to helping people their careers Mm -hmm. nobody ever starts with the big conferences Mm -hmm. you know we need we need kind of smaller but more welcoming stages and that's the kind of stuff that i you know when we talk about we need more diversity on the conference circuit someone's got to be at the top of their game to be Mm -hmm. on some of these stages and no one's got the confidence and we need places where we can stand up amongst our peers. And, you know, there's real, real power in that. Paul, you you keep um, talking about this concept of belonging. And I just wonder if you can unpack that a little bit. Because feeling like a foreigner in a foreign land at, at walking into a conference is um, a very common feeling for many people. Which is also so bizarre because it's also the definition of our profession. Fundraisers are, I often refer to them as the people under the stairs. Uh, in fact, I remember going to a university once and the entrance to the advancement office was under the stairs. And I was like, they're, they're literally the goblins. <laughs> uh, and, you know, for, for years and years, my own alma mater wouldn't even accept me as a mentor because they said fundraising wasn't a profession. And I was like, "Mm, don't you employ 500 of these people? Uh, You know, again, so the belonging element is to help us find our places and spaces. And again, the element of fundraising, the professional fundraising, but now the even more niche elements of all of the subgroups, the prospect researches, the plan givings, the major gifts, the community element, the sub sectors of environmental, animal, you know, library arts, all of that. Whenever we can when find this belonging, there's power, there's expertise. Again, for me, the, the biggest power in learning and skill development is unraveling the minutiae of doing something over and over and getting better of mastery. But you will never get that when until you're amongst peers and can really immerse in all of it, including the alleviation of energy to have a bit of fun that only we can have to make, you know, sector direct mail jokes and that kind of stuff. Like it's really cathartic. I used to describe one of our our country's biggest conferences uh, that I used to go to, because again, I was barred from going as a young fundraiser. They said, you cannot go. You can't even take vacation and pay because we, (laughs) we look at that business card. We own you. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to take vacation and I'm going to go crash it and hang out and just walk the floor because being amongst these people is a, a salve for my soul. I because remember when you office. used to do that. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe they would let you into the exhibit hall without having paid. Like, I'm, it's like Paul's crashing again. Crashing it. But again, they knew that I brought them registrations and people and sponsors. It was a, it's always a, a, a trade. And again, that's what a lot of these new spaces are creating and why I love them, because they also create opportunity for other types of accessibility that, again, a lot of traditional gatherings can't. But belonging, again, is for me that the, the, the entry point to mastery. Uh, that belonging, it really gets you fired up when you're around other fundraisers. Like I, I know, I mean, it's been a few years since I've worked in a, in a charity. But I remember working in a charity. It's a very lonely job, you know, especially if you're a solo fundraiser. Um, or, you know, for a niche, niche uh, uh, cause, like I used to, I used to fundraise for um, a sexual abuse charity, and I was the only fundraiser in there. And it was very lonely. And so you need these events, where you can come and recharge your batteries and pat each other on the back, because it's the only time you really get credit, and just kind of look after each other. And and like you said, have the, the silly jokes about direct mail and, and things like that. And so 
you know, that's why I always tell people they should be going to these events and these meetups because it's just so it's so refreshing. Um, but if you can't do that, it's great that now there's more and more virtual spaces. And, and, I, and I've seen, you know, not just not just like our member events, but lots of people out there now have regular kind of virtual meetups where even if you're a solo fundraiser with no budget, you can still check in and see your crew. You can, you can also afford to take risk, mm. right? When you did that PEDEX recently, and I was so excited to do that. And it's been a long time since I've cried as part of a talk because it just allowed me to open that up. But no one can afford to take those risks to think differently. And we have now, you know, there's a great little coach of mine that talks about that we all need our mad scientist lab. We need somewhere to try stuff out. Again, Kimberly's doing incredible things in, in Clubhouse. We, we need places to experiment and, and create, again, places for belonging, but you don't even know where you belong mm. unless you're messing around with the medium, with the people, with yourself. You know, we don't even know how to experiment to say, again, young fundraisers say, I don't know about subspecialties of major gifts, plan giving, et cetera. And I just go wherever the job takes me. I'm like, you need to go and mess around and either volunteer. But again, we need these alternative spaces where people can come test and learn, et cetera, as opposed to traditional spaces where you have to be prim proper and already built before you show up. That's one of the beautiful things about Simon, actually, is that he's not scared to make an ass of himself in public. <laughs> it kills me. And, and it is my inspiration. Excuse me? It's well, so true. I remember another highlight because when you actually took somebody's business card and you make those live phone calls to their charity in the session, and it's like, we don't know, we don't know what's about to happen. They may or may not answer properly. Like they're on speaker in front of, it, it's so scary and yet fun and feels risky. But at the end of the day, we're all going to live. Like no one's mm. going to die from that. And so it's, it, you really are, um, a pioneer, I think. You're the, you're the reason I'm on TikTok, Simon. Oh my God, guys! You, I was, yeah, I was yeah, feeling greedy for the humor. <laughs> if you remember, number one, you were did you did an entire opening deadpan with that book over your shoulder on the bookshelf that said "Books to Make Me Look Smart," and <laughs> and then the second one was the one where you opened up the the your intro as an infomercial. When you open it up and you were reading something, you were like, oh, hi. And I was like, oh, that's God, I, don't, I don't even remember that. Paul, oh. I need Paul, I need you to help me figure out how to find cool people on TikTok because I'm lost okay. when we go in there. Paul, Paul is great on TikTok. Paul's, Paul must be the best fundraiser on TikTok. Like he's, I'm, his I'm, stuff is fundraiser content. It's great. Only because I'm one of the first. Again, when there's no one there, you can be the best. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I love that stuff. I mean, like we can all, you know, I like individual giving summits you know they're important and we learn from them and you know the big conferences they're important they're, they're there but i think it's like i don't want i don't want to be remembered for doing an individual giving summit i want to be remembered for pedex i want to be rem remembered for a conference where people had to have their pet on screen presenting with them and their pet had to be involved in it. Yeah, i want to be remembered for my, my conference i have a new puppy and i want to be at next that year conference. okay next year okay. I, I want to be remembered like i have my fundraising mute country music video and things like that like that's what gets gets me through today it doesn't it doesn't like pay my bills but, but it's it, like what's the point of doing anything unless it isn't a little bit weird and fun and you know weird weird people are the best which is why i like you two well it spreads joy right it spreads joy and if we can just do that if we could spread more joy and compassion by being stepping forward as our authentic selves um it models the way for other people to do the same because we are all a hot mess inside we really are mm. uh, but one of the things i want to um also talk about and i know i i clarified about it not being an infomercial for fundraising everywhere. But I'm going to go back into that again, because as an entrepreneur, you're doing things differently than many people are in terms of the culture you're creating, how you're hiring people, the way that you work. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to share that a little bit. Um, the culture that you're creating is different than many. Um, mm what do you think the big differential is or are there several 
Yeah, and, and and honestly, it's I think my business partner Nikki Nikki Bell is is really kind of um, leading that, and I I learn from Nikki every day. You know, I I always say Nikki is one of the most amazing people in the world, and but I you know I try, and I think a, a lot of a lot of where I come from is being kind of honest about what I don't know, mm-hmm. and and honest about my ignorance, and you know, for example, like when during the me too movement you know when the me too movement really came into the charity sector and there were a lot of conversations around that you know all i could do all i could felt like i could contribute to that is is on my on our podcast and our and a live stream we did an, an interview or i did an interview and i asked a lot of i suppose stupid questions you know questions that a, a privileged white male like myself you know maybe ha- ha- wouldn't normally ask out loud because they'd be afraid of making a fool of themselves but for me, it's like where my approach is just trying to be open and learn. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk online about you can't make mistakes anymore. And I don't think that's true. I think you can make lots of mistakes as long as you learn from them. It's right. the people who who repeat mistakes that are the problem. But when, when Nikki has done so much work, I mean, she's done stuff around, uh, you know, publishing our, our EDI policy. And you can see that on our website. You know, we're very clear about what our goals are in terms of EDI, in terms of our, our speaker makeup, in terms of our speaker payments and, and things like that. Um, even in terms of our recruitment process, you know, Nikki really, really kind of led the way on that. And our recruitment process tried to be uh, very progressive. We, we shared questions in advance of interviews so people knew what they were going to be asked and could prepare. People could apply in different ways. They didn't have like, it wasn't very rigid like that. And it's the same, I guess, with all of our events and our speakers that we work with. We try and work with people mm-hmm. so that they, I guess, so that they have access to the same opportunities that, that others do. And I guess that's what, what it's about. But, you know, I, I struggle with it. I struggle with it as a 40-something, 40 42-year-old white male who's had a decent upbringing. Like, I, I struggle to get my hand around it. But I think what's good about me, not to blow my own trumpet, but I know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot. You know, there's a lot I don't know. I'm also willing to say it. Again, the two of you have been willing to experience the discomfort of evolution. And Mm -hmm. that is maybe the spirit of what I wish more people would lean into. To say, we're allowed to evolve. It's going to be friggin' messy, but let's Mm -hmm. just start. Right. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you've called so many people in to the community. And again, giving them the confidence tonight. It's not just about being the speaker, about saying, I have value. Mm-hmm. And that is a really powerful thing and pull people out of the basements and places where they just haven't had access to the community. Mm-hmm. So creating new communities and again, starting a new world to say again, that when you put that out, that statement about EDI and the conference and our beliefs, that was a clarion call to a lot of people. Again, every federated organization has these national gatherings and all that. You're allowed to restart. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the way I, what I hope people take from it, too. I'm really proud of it. And I mean, yeah, like Nikki continues to amaze me and and we've had real privilege to work with some great people and do some, some great things. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, Nikki had the idea to run um, a fundraising conference, which was really aimed at uh, people of color. So fundraisers of color, um, because we were hearing from attendees and stuff that there really wasn't anything like that out there. And so, you know, we we brought in, um, we paid uh, a woman, Martha Arajobi, to curate it. So we basically gave her complete creative control over it. We funded it and we felt like this is what we can do is we can we can share our expertise where it's needed and we can put money behind it. But the decisions and the thinking have to go um, to Martha. And so we were really proud of that. But then the following year, Nikki, again, you know, she rightly pointed out that it was a bit uncomfortable that this was something that we owned this, this conference for fundraisers of color. And, and so we gave it away. We gave it to Martha and, and, and that's still one of my career highlights, like really proud that, you know, we could, we could have sold it. We could have made money off of it, but that's just not what we're trying to do. You know, that's not what we were doing. So we, you know, Martha owns that now we continue to support her where we can, but, we we lose money in terms of the support we do but that's that's where change comes from it's like you can't you know for, for the world to be equitable for the world to be equal the top 50% of people need to make a sacrifice yeah that's the like like that's the hard realizations the top 50% of people have to give something up to bring the bottom 50% of people up 
Mm. And, and like it or not, all of us and almost everyone listening to this podcast is in the top 50%. So it's going to be uncomfortable to get a, a more equal world. You, we're going to have to give something up. And, and I struggle with that every day, you know, because I, you know, it's just the way things are, but we're, we're trying, we're trying every day to be, be better, but we'll continue to mess up. I will make huge amounts of gaffes and mistakes and I will put my foot in it many, many times. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's like, as long as I'm, I, th I feel like as long as I can learn from it, I'm willing to take the criticism. You know, I'm willing to get called out online if I make a mistake because it's, it's not someone just being a dick to you. It's someone trying to help you be better. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a better person, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> <That is> hard. <laughs> You've been in front of You know, Nicole Mc, McVan, um, did I say her last name right, Paul? Yeah. Their last name. Um, Nicole, just when I, when I encouraged them to call me out if I was inappropriate or said something stupid, which I do in every conversation, uh, they replied with, um, I will call you in. And oh, I like that. And this together. And I went, yeah. ah, yes, that's, that's compassion, right? Call me yeah. in, please. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I like it. And I mean, I, and on, I like the flip side of it is we all need to be more forgiving, you know, because stuff that maybe we learned as a kid or we learned last year, mm -hmm. other people are still on that journey. And so it's like, you know, I, I see people make mistakes and I don't like that kind of aggressive mm -hmm. attack on them. But you should be able to say, hey, you know, like maybe you'd think about doing this differently. And, you know, we say it's like a lot of conferences, hey, you should pay your speakers. Like we try not to be like rude about it, but. You know, if, if, if you want to talk to us about how we do it and our model and things like that, we're, we're always willing to share and help. And there's, you know, some people take us up on that and we learn from them and they learn from us. But we have to forgive each other and we have to be tolerant of each other. But we also have to, you know, not be afraid that um, people will call us out or call us in. And, and there's, you know, there's truth in it. There's truth in what anyone says to us. We have to learn from it. And take the risks and, again, alternative spaces to do so, right? Again, I, I, I'll never forget this colleague of mine, Lee Rose, who, uh, you know, they created a conference and it was highly digitally integrated in things. But the one thing that really upset people is they showed up to this one workshop and there were no chairs. Mm. It was just a room full of pink yoga balls. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Bright, hot pink yoga balls. And to see all the people in suits and traditional conference wear trying to balance on these things and everything, I was like, this is the physical expression of discomfort and changing the structure and everything. We had an incredible session. You know, I try to do walking workshops and that kind of thing, get them out of those the traditional mm -hmm. spaces. I had another colleague who's starting a conference and said, this is our definition. Every registration will be double the cost. And it'll be your registration. And then we will have another registration for a mm. person who can't afford to be here, who we want to invite in, but that's, Nothing. there's no option. Nothing. This is, you know, and that is that new equitable space to say, how do we make the numbers crunch? We got to find a way. And if it means change, it's going to be uncomfortable and messy, but let's just start experimenting with it. Mm. So mm. that's what, for me, just, it's so exciting. And that there's place for both. Again, it just, you know, that we won't, this is not a small sector. Mm. They, you know, they, we see the same 1500 people at the same conferences and there's a quarter million people in the industry. Wow. And we've all right? grown up. We've all grown up together, too. That's one of the things that one of the things that uh, I do think that this opportunity to be online has provided is it's I don't know about you both, but it's blown up my network. I'm meeting mm. people through zoom and and we'll just connect and then we'll say hey we should have a conversation um let's get together online and have a conversation um i nikki is top of my list because apparently she's awesome and i've never met her but um uh, it's blown up our networks beyond the same folks that you see every year at your conference and that's a new opportunity to learn and do things differently so I like the idea that we're moving forward with the, the idea of a hybrid model. But to be honest, to be completely honest, I have been working from my home office um, for two years and it's going to be tough for me to go to an in-person conference again. Mm. And I think I, that, you know, what, what, Paul, what? 
So, you know, when you see, where do you see the pictures? I've, I've got, I've sourced someone who's going to do my nails. Pulls <laughs> uh, itching to get to these things. Uh, and I'm sourcing a cape, uh, like Billy Porter style. Uh, you know, for me, I'm the exact opposite, actually. It has contracted my network because I'm not the best in the virtual space, even mm -hmm. though I'm good at it. For me, the belonging and the connecting and all that is a physical. And again, that's why I really love now these new alternative physical spaces that are smaller, physically different structures, et cetera, so I can connect with people because that is my medium, mm -hmm. the in-person. This has been really hard for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, But, you know, again, the concept of opening my mind to across the pond, again, you and I have talked, Kimberly, how many times being plan giving seemingly a tax specialist, I wasn't open to the states. Yeah. I was international conversations. That has opened a lot. And again, Simon, talking more about things like the mistakes we made. What did I learn from that? And giving people the permission to even talk about it, because in the past, that, that was a firing offense. Mm. Right. So that is really giving people the permission to say, this is what learning looks like. Mm. Again, everybody talks about if, you know, Simon Sinek, who's got the number two watch TED Talk in all, of all time. Start with why. But actually, Simon's last book was way more valuable to me. It was called The Infinite Game. And the fact is, we're not playing one game. You can never win business, charity, whatever. It's constantly going. And so we need to be iterating with it. And actually, that's the challenge for a lot of people and organizations pre-pandemic. They just didn't evolve. The pandemic has caused us to do it in some ways. I, I remember, I always remember talking to you, Paul, on a podcast. And because I, I struggled to remember the phrase and you stepped in and reminded me. And it was, it was that, you know, a rising tide. Oh, remind sorry. me again. Floats all boats. Floats all boats. For some reason, I always struggle with one of the words in there. But it's so true. It's like, you know, if you if you put yourself out there, if you support others, good things happen. Yeah. You know, if you welcome people in, good yeah. things happen. The more connect, I mean, this, especially as fundraisers, we know this, the more connections you make, the more opportunities come up. And so it's like connectivity always is a good thing. And if that if that involves you going to a real life event, then great. I hope I'll see you there. If that involves you checking into a virtual event, then great. I hope I'll see you there. But it's like the more we can bring people into this, then great. And, and you know, me and Nikki, we never think virtual is going to replace real life events. We're not naive. We you know, I don't believe in this metaverse thing. Like it's it's yeah. funny, but it's not like it's no. not what people are saying it's going to be. But just by having these things as an option, it just creates opportunity and it creates connections. And we know that's when good things happen. Yeah. Just because one exists doesn't mean the other one has to stop existing. So the evolution is what, again, is so exciting. And uh, and again, meeting all these new folks and people say, how are we ever going to diversify the, the speaking circuit, the leadership and all that? We will not do that until we bring more people in because they've got to opt in and they will not be able to opt in if they don't even have the option. Well, and you said it earlier too, it's creating that sense of belonging. You know, people need to feel like they belong. So whether it's going to be virtual or uh, in person, the, the key themes from this conversation that have risen are the curiosity, belonging, forgiveness, tolerance, accessibility, value. And, um, and, and I love the idea that some folks, let's hope, let's cross our fingers and hope that when people get back into creating these um, in-person opportunities, that there is a layer of online accessibility as well. I really, I really hope that you're right on that, Simon. And um, well, for our listeners, because again, I know this is a challenge in the budgets and how it works for a lot of them, because I am, I am very anti-hybrid. Because, uh, because a lot of the traditional medium are ludicrous cost. Mm. So again, that's why I'm grateful, Simon, that you have built something that is accessible to charities and nonprofits that can allow them to do that kind of model. Because if you're just going with the regular for-profit entities, it, it is not an option. Again, people always ask me about it for different conferences. I've seen any place I've seen it done, it's the law society or the accountants group mm. or whatever. And they're paying six figures to make those things possible. And I've been told it's not possible. And again, you created a world of possibility with the platform. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah. And we're like, we're not trying to be 
precious or, or ownershipy about it as well because it's like i mean i we run a masterclass i've been to a couple of events where we've run a class and and hopefully you know you'll see us more speaking more and more in in places like canada and and the us running this class about how you can do your own virtual event you know and and one of the one of the sessions we do we actually train people to run a live stream there and then we do one as part of the session we live stream there with people who've never live streamed before. And so there's, there's a whole scale of ways you can do it. Yes, you can, you can upgrade and do, you know, work with us or you can upgrade even more and pay more and do it, but there's, there's different levels to this. And it's like, what we're just trying to show is like, we're in a time now where the technology and the internet is making it mm -hmm. really accessible for everyone. If we use it properly, you know, if we use it period, you know, so it's there, but if we're not going to use it, then it's going to continue to, to marginalize people but if we take this opportunity to actually you know tap into the resources we have then then there's so many so much opportunity and if anyone you know if any of your listeners want to speak to me about how any of this stuff works you know not it's not a sales pitch like we're just happy to share like what what you can do because because this is this is what we're here for well thank you for being here Thank you for having me. <laughs> we're fans. I mean, we're fans. Fundraising everywhere. We're fans because uh, it's innovative, because it's accessible, because it's kind of quirky and fun, and uh, we could use more of that. So, well done. And because we pay, we paid you as speakers. We didn't pay. We, we, there's no sponsorship, but you are paid speakers. So. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Do you remember? Paul, I know. Kimberly was so suspicious when I when I told her. Like, send me an invoice. I'm like, yeah, but that just feels really weird. But I respect you, Simon. So I'll send you an invoice. <laughs> yeah. No, we want. We want like everyone can benefit from this anyone everyone can benefit from this well we rise by lifting others that is absolutely true. all the others listening in all those folks i call out the beginning who are creating these alternative spaces thank you we appreciate you and we can't wait to get back out and have some fun with it too and especially paul i've been on one of your networking uh networking events i want to it's my mission to get back to toronto to do another one and we must we must chat sometime about how you do a virtual networking i think we could do one nicely yeah, everyone walking in their own place it, the podcast is the answer so I, i've done it with some folks to record the podcast or even do live clubhouse will we'll get that oh, eventually it's like you we'll just have everybody walk and we go for a walk like it's not hard yeah. easy nice <laughs> i like it i'll be there Great thanks simon thank you guys we hope you enjoyed this episode and really lean into opportunities to share your experience and your knowledge whenever you can. Because as Simon says, everyone has a voice and everyone has a right to a microphone because we all learn from each other. If you would like more information about how Fundraising Everywhere can help your organization make meaningful connections and broaden your reach, visit fundraisingeverywhere.com. Oh, and check out the show notes uh, to get the link to Harrison Scriber's book, Age of Aquarius Adventures. Thank you for joining us in the Hub today. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. We are so glad to have you as part of the conversation.